by Govan and welcome to Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek and this is Mrs. Geek <laughs> by popular demand because of her input in a lot of my video. Well, I think every single episode review that I did for Rings of Power, a lot of people were interested in kind of getting her thoughts more broadly. And so I put out a poll and the result was people wanted to hear her thoughts in a regular video after the whole season was done. So here we are doing that. Uh, so I got a lot of questions from commenters on YouTube. I'm going to be going through all those. And before we get to that, I want to let her give a little bit of background in terms of, well, one of this, one of these kind of gets into the, one of the questions, but like our relationship in terms of Tolkien and the kinds of entertainment she likes and that sort of thing, just to give kind of a background. So you have an idea of where she's coming from when she's watching a show like Rings of Power. So, in your own words, what do you, you know, what do you like, what do you not like, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I like shows that capture my attention or something that doesn't capture my attention that I can craft in the background, too. Um, so, the shows that are kind of don't capture my attention are very formulaic. Um... I just finished binge-watching Bones. I liked watching that because it's very formulaic. Killer of the Week, um, Crime of the Week, and a couple things that will catch my attention, but for the most part... Um, for that same reason, I like comedies. Um, I really liked Parks and Rec. That's probably my favorite comedy uh, that doesn't have a big plot to follow each time, but I can laugh along with it. And then I really like shows like Once Upon a Time that have big overarching plot for the entire season that interconnect with one another. I really, really like shows where they have little Easter eggs that keep on tying back into each other and interconnecting. And Just as a few examples, like what are some of the shows in the last five to ten years that you've really enjoyed? You already mentioned Parks and Rec as a comedy. Parks but... and Rec um, and Once Upon a Time are... Ones that I will rewatch uh, if I can't find something that is catching my interest. I'm actually considering going back and rewatching um, Big Bang Theory. Long story behind that, but mostly because of my sister's dogs. And that's a big <laughs> long story. Yeah, we're not going to get into <laughs> that story. But I'm probably going to go back and binge watch that um, now that Rings Power is done and. I currently don't have a show that I am watching. Besides Handmaid's Tale, I can't speak. Um, I really do like Handmaid's Tale uh, this season. I'm not as big of a fan, but there's parts I really like. I feel like the writing, for the most part, is really good. Even though um, it is very dark. It's a very dark subject matter. Yeah. Um, so... This kind of gets into one of the questions, but kind of talk about our relationship in terms of my being a major Tolkien geek and you're not being one, and how that kind of plays into the dynamic of how we live together and well, that sort of thing. If I came into our marriage expecting you not to be all geeky about Tolkien, um, that's on me. <laughs> in the first week or first month after we got started dating the first time uh, you gave me a co coupon bo book 
gave me a coupon book that was in Elvish for me to translate that was very romantic, had a lot of romantic gestures in it, but it was all in Elvish. And it was up to me to translate it. Now, me... I, I tried really hard to convert her, guys. I really did. The It was a fun, uh, like a cipher to me. That was fun. I like puzzles and ciphers, so that was... That was the advantage of it. And it was a cute romantic gesture. The Elvish part and all of the Lord of the Rings stuff really wasn't the big uh, turn on. But as long as I've known you, that's been one of those things that was synonymous with Josh is Lord of the Rings. And I'm also geeky in my own ways. I have I've been to Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, in costume, and slept on the floor outside of Paul H. Or on the concrete outside of Paul H, waiting to get in. I have my own geeky moments, and it's just Tolkien's not one of them. Okay, now let's get into some questions, uh, which that, that kind of leads directly into the first one, which is, how do you put up with me being such a huge geek in a fandom that you're not really that interested in? YouTube. <laughs> in other words, my channel is my outlet. <laughs> so I remember very clearly the day that you came up to me and asked me about starting up a YouTube channel and my thoughts on it. And you pitched it as... I always try to talk to you about all these great insights I have about Tolkien and things I realize, and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, and you said that you needed an outlet, someone that you could talk to. And I'm like, even if you only get like three people who follow you, and you have someone you can talk to about Tolkien and these insights, it's a good thing. So that's how uh, this YouTube channel was born. He was trying not to annoy me. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Uh, so that, that being said, I'm very supportive of him. Um, this picture that Josh... Does, I'm kind of obscuring that. Yeah, I painted that for him. It was a surprise. Yes, a very, um, very nice surprise, I must say. I didn't tell him I was doing it and did it all day one day when he was at work. And he came home and found out that I did that for him. I am very supportive of... Him having an outlet, I'm also very <laughs> supportive of the fact that it's it gives a focus and you know it's who he is. As I said, as much as as geeky as he gets, it's who he is, and I, I married him full, uh, knowing that full well. <laughs> All right. So for the rest of these questions, uh, they're not necessarily going to follow naturally. I literally just copied and pasted them in the order that they were in YouTube. So. Get over it, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the first one is, did you really have a good grasp of what was going on throughout the season? Were you following the story, that kind of thing? Yeah, I got. I, I could follow the story. There's a lot of things that didn't make sense that I felt like contradicting themselves. But it wasn't like I couldn't get the overall big picture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I already know the answer to this one. Somebody asked, and this was, I think, one of the really early questions. Um, do you think that Galadriel was being obnoxious? And this was, like, after, I think, episode two or three, so oh, this is way back. Oh, my, yes. I cannot stand her. I 
this kind of goes to my big criticism of a lot of shows right now is I don't feel like people know how to write a strong female character. I am always a woman. I am not, I tend to be girly, but I also don't tend to be girly. Um, this is my husband's sword collection. I have my own sword collection and it is how we started one of our first conversations with each other about it was about my sword collection. True story. And he credits his interest in me from that conversation. Also true story. I prefer martial arts, I you know, to to a lot of other things. I I want to connect with those strong female characters but I don't feel like they write them very well. And everything that is strong about Galadriel is teenagerish to me. <laughs> and it does not feel like she's mature. And there's a difference between maturity and strength of character and just doing what you want to do regardless of the consequences or what anybody else around you th thinks or how they're going to be impacted. Um, so this is a kind of a broad one. What did you like best about the show and what did you like the least? I liked when they started doing twists in that last episode. I actually really liked the twist with, oh, he's Sauron. And then, oh, no, we just threw you for a loop and not really. Referring uh, to the stranger. With the stranger, stranger and then coming to... Oh, no, it's not actually him. I think that making him not actually him made the Harfolk plot that less, that much less uh, relevant. And when the stranger was potentially Sauron, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this plot actually has some validity and okay, maybe I'm now interested. But as soon as they revealed that was a false flag, or is that the right word? No, that's, that's not, not really not the that, right word. But that it was a, a false, red herring. Yeah, it was a red herring. I was like, okay, well, I don't care about the Harfoots again. But <laughs> I, I do like those twists that aren't expected. They're even better when you go back and you see the clues. And it, at least with the Halbrand, Mike, and Sauron, I guess there's some clues in the past that. Now, looking back, I could probably connect and instead of being as critical of the writer. So maybe with a rewatch, maybe I would appreciate that a little bit more. And what what did you like the least? That was what you liked the, the best. Harfoots. Was the the Harfoots. Okay, well, that's <laughs> short and simple. The, the Harfoots was just, there was not, I, there was not anything that captured my attention. It was a little whimsical at times and. I just don't understand why we were watching it. <laughs> um, did the show as a whole make you more or less interested in the actual source material? I mean, I asked you lots of questions as we were going through the show. Like, what really happened? What's, how's this compare? Um, I think I probably asked you like three or four questions every episode I watched just to understand what was going through. So I guess in that way... My interest was peaked to figure out the difference between the source material and the show. 
I still have no interest in going back and reading the novels. Um, I did start reading Fellowship of the Ring in high school and I made it through 50 pages, if that, probably about 50 pages when I asked my teacher, um, in high school we had reading logs, but we, once we registered the book we were going to read, we were stuck with that book. Unless we read 50 pages and hated it, then we could get out of it. So you had to at least read 50 pages. I know I went in and did that 50 page, I'm getting out of the book. Um, I could not, I, I, just not my writing style. I did not like it. Don't worry, I'm raising our kids right at least. <laughs> he just finished reading our kids The Hobbit, so for the first time. Um, <laughs> and you put on a Lord of the Rings related movie, whether it be the animated Hobbit or the extended Fellowship of the Rings or any of the Peter Jackson extended. Regular, regularly enough that I have no interest in going back and watching it. Um, the first time I saw The Fellowship of the Ring was in theaters. I fell asleep. Um, it didn't capture my attention then. The second time I sat down and watched the whole trilogy, uh, I was sick and sat down and watched it while recovering during a snowstorm as well. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, that was about two years before we got married, during one of the times we were not dating. <laughs> Long story we're not going to get into, by the way. Uh, what would your overall rating for the season be? Six. And what does six mean to you on a one to ten scale? Six is barely watch watchable. It is probably I can put it in the background of something I don't care whether or not I'm going to be watching it. It's better than scrolling through Netflix to find the next thing to watch. <laughs> or Amazon Prime in this right, case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, this is maybe a, a little bit different of a question for you being not so involved in knowing much of the actual source material, but what should the show have done instead of what we got? So, as I said, I liked I like a lot of ensemble pieces. Once Upon a Time... This ensemble, um, I like, love the first season of Heroes. Love the first season of Heroes. Hate everything past that. <laughs> um, Parks and Rec, they're all ensemble pieces, but what they all do well is they introduce characters slowly, even if you're getting one, if you're skipping characters between episodes so you can focus on a new character and you can focus on one character building up so you care about it. I think so much of the world building in the first couple episodes is we're going to throw everything at you. But there wasn't enough time to develop any interest or character development. I watched the entire season. And about half the characters, I still can't tell you their names or anything significant about their backstory. I still refer to the king of the elves as Abraham Lincoln Vampire Killer. Same actor, believe it or not. Go check IMDb. Uh, so yeah, basically focus on a few and then expand out. Not yeah, not so Give much. Give me a so. chance to learn about the character and develop an interest in them. Right, and then from there, introduce someone else and introduce somebody else. 
And we were talking about the Harfoots earlier today, and I think one of the things that could have been improved is the Harfoots, with that whole twist at the end, what you could have taken is where Abraham Lincoln vampire killer, vampire killer comes up and talks and says, we've been dying and here's all these problems that are going on. And they've all started within this past time frame. Give us a flashback then to the stranger showing up and you don't even have to immediately go into your Sar Sauron, but maybe connect it that way. Do a flashback to the same time. And I think it would have been good if they took the, the the Harfoots out of the very, very beginning at least. And then the parts that you wanted me to care about, do flashback, bring it back in there, tie it back into the main storyline. Okay. Favorite and least favorite characters. The least favorite is easy, Galadriel. I don't know what episode it was. It was three or four where... I came in and told you after watching it that if I stop watching the show, it's because of her. <laughs> because she's obnoxious, she's childish, she's... Not likable. Not likable at all. And I get that maybe part of it is intentional, but she is so unlikable without the redeeming qualities, or, and she's at least given the screen time to be our hero. I don't care. I don't like her. Um, favorite character? I really, really like Elrond and Durin's relationship, and I'm not sure I can break them apart in terms of liking or disliking it, because how I like them is so intertwined. Yeah, because of their interactions. Yep. Uh, favorite set piece or location? Um, I think the one that I probably actually really liked the most was when we first saw inside of the what the dwarf home the Casa Doom yes okay. I, I think that's the one that stick out, stuck out the most the other ones felt too too CGI yeah the other one <laughs> and too it, it, at least Casa Doom felt otherworldly it, it felt fantasy and intriguing yeah at that seemed like there was thought put into it, and it did visually catch my, my attention. Okay. Favorite costume? I can tell you my least favorite costume. Um, so, <laughs> I, there's no... Actually, the dress that Galadriel's wearing at the very end, the green and the gold, I really actually like that. That would be really pretty. Um... But my least favorite costume was Elrond. Uh, when he is with Durin, when they're both trying to mine the Mithril, it looked plasticky. <laughs> it, it looked ill-fitted. It looked plasticky. It looked kind of like pleather, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it, just, it looked like something I would get at Spirit for my kid dressing up. <laughs> and that is... Cosplay comments in incoming. I, you know, yeah. I, every costume can't be a hit, but that really was a miss. Yeah. Uh, funniest moment. There wasn't any. Like I, I don't remember laughing at anything. And to be fair, I don't think it was supposed to be funny. It's a serious topic, and I, so 
and not everything has to be funny or just, you know so i don't hold that against the show yeah i think the only time i got a real chuckle in this show was in episode one or two when nori and poppy lose control of the cart that they're hauling the stranger in when he's unconscious and even that i was just it was more of a chuckle for like oh my gosh than an actual that's really funny uh so i don't blame you um would you watch season two Depends what else I've been binge watching at the time, and if I'm in a lull between trying to figure out something else to watch. If you noticed her eye movement when she started answering that question, it means almost certainly not, unless I'm desperate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there's times where I just scroll and scroll on whatever, trying to find something, and eventually I might say, whatever, I'll give it a shot. I can't find anything else better to watch. That being said, there are channels on YouTube that I probably would end up watching first. Um, and there are shows that I go back and rewatch on a regular basis that I probably go back and rewatch before deciding to come and watch season two. So I would definitely come back with to watch it if I was starting to see a lot of positive reviews or changes from people who were negative about the first one. Yeah, people who were negative about the same things I was negative about. I might have enough curiosity. Um, curiosity killed the cat, and curiosity um, <laughs> is my downfall as well. And so I might, I might go back out of curiosity. I also tend to be a completionist, so I have a really hard time um, letting go of some things that I've started, even though I really should stop. So, I can't say that I wouldn't watch the rest of it, but it wouldn't be out of excitement. It would be out of... <laughs> some Almost a sense of obligation. Either a sense of obligation or a sense of, I want something in the background while I'm working on some random craft, like diamond art. <laughs> <laughs> I did di this diamond art while... Uh, that was not placed here as an intentional prop. That just happened to be there. <laughs> because this is where I was watching. <laughs> and I was doing the diamond heart while watching the show. <laughs> um, so this is an interesting one because one of your fandoms is actually Star Wars. Somebody asked, does the direction of this show remind you in any way of some of the things that have been happening in the Star Wars stuff lately? So... I can't really speak in terms of, like, I know that you talked about it being glorified fa fan fiction. I can't really speak to that because... You're not as familiar with, with the... the source material. Um, but what I could feel is that there, there was trying to connect to a new generation audience, trying to make it feel relevant, but forgetting where the roots came from. Um, like, the new, uh, new sequel trilogy... The further you get along into the show, the more that I feel like they forgot who their core base was and forgot why they loved the show and alienated them in the process. And from your reaction, that's kind of what I feel like has happened to you. Yeah. Um, and this one, I already kind of know where you're going with this one because we talked about it, but what does Tolkien mean to you as somebody who's not really a fan of Tolkien's fiction? Um, so, I 
very much appreciate his work as a philologist and I really really enjoy looking up word meanings and histories so I can appreciate him there. Also if it was not for Tolkien my favorite author would probably not exist or at least not the way that I love him. So C.S. Lewis I've read most of his fiction and a good deal amount of his nonfiction. So I have appreciation for Tolkien, just not directly. Uh, I don't like his writing style, but that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate the work that he's done. And helping even directly with the Space Trilogy from Lewis, if it was not for Tolkien, that would not exist, let alone what he did in for influence on Lewis on the rest of his works. All right, and last one. I hope anybody hearing our kids in the background doesn't think they're murdering each other. They're really not. <laughs> uh, Non-canon character that you like the most. And here's the here's the fun part, guys. She doesn't know really that much about who's canon and non-canon. So this could be an interesting answer. Uh, um, start listing characters that and like. I'll let you know when you hit a non-canon character. Okay, so as I said, I like Elrond and Durin. And I like Duran's wife, and I know he is she. Disa is non-canon. Yeah, I know that. Um, I really like their relationship. Um, I feel like they challenge each other. I feel it's, and this actually might be a really good analogy given the dwarves, but um, steel sharpens steel. Yeah. And I feel like that that's their type of relationship. So I appreciate that. So that might be my answer. Um, I, yeah, I liked her. I, I liked her sass. <laughs> I liked how she didn't let him kind of walk all over her. Um, I liked, I liked how they both listened to each other, and there's not a lot of really good marriages portrayed in, on TV or movies, from my point of view, that shows both characters loving and supporting each other, but also not just being a doormat for each other and letting each other do whatever they want. I felt like that was a one of the better depictions of a marriage a healthy marriage in my opinion that i have seen uh, for a little while so all right well that was all the questions from the youtubing comment section do you have any final thoughts you just want to end on um i think probably that give me a second to think about it and you can edit this part out <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um might end up in a Bloopers real. <laughs> so back to that first question about also how how to deal with uh, my geekiness. My geekiness. Uh, I think from a marriage point of view, back to you know what we're talking about, Disa is like understanding who. And go back. So <laughs> re-edit to here. <laughs> So, back to the first question in terms of having to deal with your your geekiness and stuff like that. I think that it's really important when you to understand that I married you as with, I am, as you are, and you marry me as I am. And everybody has something they're geeky about, even if they don't call it geeky. It, the people who have to watch Sunday football every every weekend or and can shout off all the names of the players and the stats. That's not me. And that's not him. 
but to be honest I'd much be much rather be with somebody who is more on the geeky side of Tolkien or Star Wars or things you'll find at Comic-Con than, <laughs> than someone who's really into sports. That doesn't mean that's wrong. It's just what I chose my hard <laughs> to be. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's who you are. It's part of what you like and defines who you are. And if you did not have these interests... Yeah. We may not be sitting here today and understanding that if that it's a package deal. <laughs> um, and I have my geeky things that you sometimes just kind of dot and listen and you kind of wish that I had the outlet you have here. <laughs> um, but that let, let that be a lesson to all you hopeless people out there. You can find somebody that you might marry... Not just because they don't share your geekdom doesn't mean you should rule them out. So. And I have no problem you teaching our, our kids to be, to sing the Down the Goblin song. <laughs> goblin Town. <laughs> yeah. Um, down, down the Goblin Town. Which our three kids sing the song all around the house all the time. I told you I was raising them right. <laughs> and I, you know, and our oldest can't wait until he gets his first copy of The Hobbit, which is on his, which will be under the Christmas tree this year for him. <laughs> so, I have no problem him sharing with it, and that's awesome that a father should share these, his passions with the son. I guess my last thing is to add the one downside about your geekiness is which is also a good upside too, is I never know what, I always know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> I'm just running out of ideas. So, in the comments, if you have any great She Tolkien follows ideas, the comments. Yes, I read the comments all the time. Um, if you have any really great Christmas ideas for, our to for him, I would love to hear them. I never expected that kind of benefit to come out of this video, but hey, there you are. <laughs> I didn't tell him I was going to do that, but I plan to do it. <laughs> because I have no clue what to get him. She's Christmas. smart. All right. Well, uh, I hope that satisfies everybody's curiosity about my wife's opinion on the show as a person who's not really that into the Tolkien fandom and all that. Um, now stay tuned. I will be getting into my overall thoughts about the season as a whole, and it's going to be much more a productive, constructive criticism type approach than my reviews have been, which have been much more about the things that I hated. This one's going to be analyzing the things that I didn't like, but in a way of trying to look at how I think they could have done it better and where I think they were weak, but how they could have improved. So that'll be the next segment of this video, so stay tuned for that, and thank you very much. Nice talking to y'all. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed the appearance of my wife on this show. It's going to be a one-time only deal. She values her privacy quite a bit, so it's actually kind of surprising to me that she agreed to do it at all. After we finished recording her segment, she thought of a couple of other things that she uh, wanted me to point out before I got into my own comments. One being when she said about uh, Durin and Disa that, you know, steel sharpens steel. She meant, of course, iron sharpens iron. It's, you know, not really that 
big of a deal, but she just recognized that she said it wrong and wanted to point out that she does, in fact, know the way it's supposed to be said. The other thing that she mentioned, though, was one positive about this show was the fact that she actually got to collaborate with me on something which is kind of rare because most of our interests don't overlap that much. One of the things that we do both enjoy is board games. But in terms of our fandoms, we don't really have a whole lot of stuff in common, so it was kind of nice to actually have something that, even though it's not her fandom, it was something that she was doing with me that you know we could both do together in a sense, because that's kind of unusual for us. Uh, that being said, let me get into some of my thoughts overall about the season as a whole, and this is going to be my final thoughts on this, unless I do a live stream in which people ask me questions about it, but if, you know, at this point, this is like my final word on season one of The Rings of Power, and presumably ever on The Rings of Power. So the first thing I want to get into is something that we've already touched on, multiple times in my episode reviews and that my wife also touched on a little bit, and that's the fact that there's just too many plot threads and too many characters. And it's not even just that they can't spend time focusing for, you know, an episode on just one or two plot threads. It's there's just too many plot threads, period, I think, for an eight-episode season. We've got four major plot threads going on, most of which don't go very far in terms of what happens with them, and it just ultimately, I think, leads to this feeling at the end of the season that we've spent a whole lot of time building up to a rushed finale where, you know, most of what came before doesn't even seem terribly relevant to what's happened because... Like, at the end, we don't even get anything with Durin and Disa. Like, we left them in Episode 7 talking about how in the future the kingdom is going to be Durin's and then they can do what they want. And then we don't see him again in Episode 8. It's like they're just leaving that hanging there to be picked up again in Season 2, presumptively. There's all these Harfoots that we don't really care about. There's tons of characters from Numenor that we care so little about that we almost, you know, don't even notice them, really. Like, Aarian, we see her again in episode 8, but we've had, you know, maybe 10 minutes of screen time with her, something like that, and why are we supposed to care about her? We're obviously going to care about her more in the future, apparently, because she's going to have looked into the Palantir and seen something, and that's going to be impactful, but why did we need to introduce her in season 1 for that? And why did we need to introduce Kimmon in season 1? What have we gained from having these two characters introduced from us to us in season one that we couldn't have just picked them up in season two and gotten, you know, something going there. Even Isildur, as I mentioned, you know, in my uh, review of episode eight, I, I didn't even miss Isildur in this episode, even though I was expecting to see him pop up and be shown that he was alive. And I didn't even miss him because... Thus far in the show, he's such a minor character and so unimportant narratively that it's just like, okay, it didn't happen, whatever. Um, and it's just, 
they would have done well, I think, to have primarily focused on Galadriel's story and the Southland story and maybe thrown in the Harfoots and spent less time with the Harfoots and then towards the end maybe start introducing some of these additional characters to set them up for season two but not set them up in you know earlier episodes and then not ever really give us any development of their characters in this season because that's it just makes you wonder what was the point of it all i mean the point again obviously is going to be to set them up later for season two or beyond but doing it at such an early stage with no payoff in the near future just seems to me like a, a bad way of doing it. They should have focused on the characters that we really care about this season and then started to introduce some of these characters maybe maybe later in this season, but probably just earlier in season two or whenever they're going to start becoming relevant. Because up to this point, Aarian has no relevance. Kimmon has no relevance. Isildur has, at best, minor relevance because of Elendil's issues. So, that's one of my main points that I would bring up here. And that's part of the reason, I think, that the whole season felt really slow up until episode 8, really. I mean, like, episode 6 didn't feel too slow, except for the fact that it was just one big thing focused on one battle, and not really a lot happened in episode 6, despite it seeming kind of active. Some people online have been kind of pushing back against this idea of the show being slow-paced, saying, well, that's just because too many people are expecting an action series, because that's what fantasy stuff always is. It's like, no... I read Lord of the Rings and I enjoyed it. Lord of the Rings is not an action story, guys. I don't mind a slow burn, and I don't mind very little action being in my fantasy. What I mind is a bunch of introduction of stuff that has no relevance and a bunch of non-movement of the plot and jumping back and forth between multiple different plot threads and introducing a bunch of characters that we barely even get to know we might not even catch their names, like my wife didn't know the names of half the characters or more by the time the season was over, that makes the show feel slow because nothing is progressing at a rate that makes you feel like you can get invested. You need to have enough focus on one plot line to bring it along enough to actually have something happen for it to feel like there's movement. Now, with Elrond and Durin... You didn't necessarily need that as much because their relationship was good enough and their dialogue was interesting enough that you could kind of just enjoy it. But most of the other stuff in the series so far has not been that interesting to just let things kind of be as they are. And so you needed something to push the plot along. And part of the reason that it didn't work very well is because so much of the plot hinged on a bunch of mystery boxes and it's just like if you... If you're like me and you watched Lost and you felt burned by that show, and I know some people enjoyed Lost, but by the time that show ended, I was like, I thought there was going to be some master plan to make a really interesting thing out of this, and I felt cheated at the end. So now that I watch this show and I feel like the same thing is being done, 
I'm not interested in mystery boxes. That does not hold my interest the way it used to because I view it with a much more cynical eye. And so if you're going to build your plot entirely around mystery boxes, what's the sword? Who's the stranger? Who's Halbrand? It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't do it, okay? Maybe it does it for some people. It doesn't do it for me. You need the plot to actually kind of matter. Look at the way Tolkien does his story. His story is not full of mystery boxes. He tells us pretty much up front in chapter two that here's the deal, here's the deal with the ring and here's the reason we got to do something about it and off we go. Mysterious things happen along the way. You might argue that Tom Bombadil is a bit of a mystery box, but not really because he's not there to lead you on wondering the entire time who is Tom Bombadil. We're meant to encounter him as a fairy tale experience and that introduces us to the awe and wonder of a magical world and then leave him behind and just let that be its own thing. It's not this thing where it's like, oh, we got to figure out who Tom Bombadil is by the end of the story. That's not what it is. And so we know up front what the stakes are. We know what the story's about. We know more or less where it's going. And then we progress and get there and diverge into different paths along the way. But nevertheless, we know everything is going in a particular direction. With this season of Rings of Power, I didn't feel like I had a direction until you know, maybe episode four or five when it became clear there's going to be this climactic clash in, you know, the Southlands. But then the question was, if that's not the finale of the season, why not? And that's another thing that felt weird was the end of season one should not have been the rings of power being forged, the three elven rings at least, because they did it in a rushed manner It had little to no connection with anything that came before. It did not feel like a natural conclusion to everything that we've seen go on up to this point. Now, it was kind of a natural wrap-up of Elrond's story, but that's only because two-thirds of the way through Elrond's story, we found out that what he was actually doing there had very little to do with what he thought he was doing there. And it, you know, it, it... had more to do with a thing that Gilgalad and Celebrimbor were planning that they didn't let him in on. He knew he was there to get a something a forge built for something, and of course we know that that is pointing distantly, at least, to the forging of the Rings of Power, because anybody that knows the story well enough knows that has to be what that's about. But there's no reason why that had to take place in this season, and this will touch on another thing that I will point out later on. So this whole season was, I think it would have made more sense if they had focused on just the Southlands thing, not gotten to the Rings of Power yet, and just done it in a different way. How you would have made that fit into eight episodes, I I can't, you know, say right off the top of my head. I am not a creative in, in, by nature. So, and a lot of people have criticized me saying, well, why don't you write something better? It's like, I don't. That's not what I do. But that doesn't mean I can't tell you what isn't good. <laughs> I mean, I can tell bad writing for bad writing. Not It doesn't matter that I don't know how to write well on my own. So, take that for what you will. Another couple of issues that I have harped on before is the lack of 
logical and narrative coherence and the weirdness of the timeline. Looking back over the whole thing, and there have been people that have made comments in response to my episode reviews about the timeline, they have pointed out that, for example, when Waldreg is talking to Theo at um, Ostirith, he says that it's been weeks since the meteor fell. And I didn't catch that the first time, and that does kind of solve some of the time things, because it shows that a lot more time has passed in the Southlands than it would appear, but that's kind of a problem, right? Like, visually, the story that they're showing us does not seem to match up with the temporal stretches that have to be assumed, and so it it really forces you to have to work and fill in gaps and explain why the show isn't completely off balance in terms of its treatment of time and distance. Can that be worked out for all the plot threads such that everything matches up at the end? I'm still not convinced, but even if it could, I think it's still a failing on the show's part that they managed to tell a story in which it seems like various plot threads take various and staggeringly different amounts of time to reach the same conclusion point. And the only clue we get that the visual storytelling we get is off is people saying things in off-the-cuff remarks that aren't necessarily that significant for us. So, it to me, that's one of those things that... And it doesn't help that they had all these other logical problems with the show. If they had not, I might could have given a little bit more grace to the idea that there's more time passing than you think here or whatever, but there's already so many other logical coherence problems in the story as a whole that I have pointed out in numerous episodes that it's really hard to give them the benefit of the doubt on the time issue. So that's one of those things that I think could have been much better done if they had more carefully, you know, planned out how to show the passage of time, or at least given us some kind of indicator, like even my wife said, you know, one, and I don't remember if she mentioned this in the video segment, but she mentioned it kind of beforehand at least, that if we had done a lot of the other story first and then come back to the Harfoots and said, like, six weeks earlier before where we left off, say, Elrond, then we see the meteor fall, and then come back and show how all these things start happening. And that way you can get a better sense of the same amount of time is passing in each of these different stories without apparently having very different amounts of time passing in all these stories and having to figure out how how do they all fit together? It doesn't make sense. Now the time passage thing, that's really only going to pop up, I think, if you're paying attention to that issue. And, like I said, part of the reason I think I was paying more attention was because of the logical coherence problems. And here's where they just need better writers, or somebody in there who is going to be, like, as my wife put it, like a logic editor, or a consistency editor. Somebody who can take all the writing that's been done and read through it and look for, okay, this doesn't really make sense, how can we fix this? This doesn't work, how can we make this more natural progression? that sort of thing. They needed 
a single person who could look at the script and, you know, the whole thing and say, here's where I see some issues where this doesn't seem to line up. These motives don't make sense. These events don't seem to follow from each other. These, you know, actions don't make any sense given where we are in the story, you know, and just kind of put it all together and make it work as a unified whole in a way that I don't think it did. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go into huge detail here because I've given tons of examples of the problems I've had with this, you know, but the leaving Austerith and going back to the village where they have no defenses is just a bad decision. It's not illogical in the sense that it is completely contradictory to itself, but there were also other things in the story that did seem like there's no way to make those two things line up. And so you needed that one person who could look at the whole thing and say, okay, we got to rectify this. we got to make this make sense. we got to do this. And I, I think that would have helped the show a lot because if you've noticed, a great number of my complaints in this show have been just the logical coherence problems. And if you could have just solved that, that alone would have made the show immensely more watchable because at that point, I can get more invested in the story and invest, as Tolkien calls it, secondary belief in the world that we're in. I would still have problems with it, but it would be a lot less experience-killing if I'm not having my intelligence insulted multiple times. You know, and the you know the best example of that, of course, was Elrond talking to Celebrimbor right after he was refused to break his oath with Gil-galad, and then talking to Celebrimbor about the very thing that he's supposed to not talk about, acting like he hasn't broken his oath. It's like, how how did that ever get out of the writing room and not get shut down as, wait, this can't happen, this makes no sense. Stuff like that kills the immersion, because now you're like, are you stupid? And I should not be wondering if Elrond, who by this point should be 3,000 years old, is a complete idiot. I shouldn't be having to wonder that. So that's one area where they also need to make vast improvements in the future is really they they need a single editor to look at the whole thing and be like, okay, wait, this, hey guys, we got to rewrite this. This doesn't make sense. Another thing, and this is one of the things that really took the show out of being a Tolkien story for me is a lot of the dialogue, because so much of the dialogue, and this was especially true earlier, it I think it improved a little bit over time, but especially earlier on, a lot of the dialogue was just bad. Some of the language used was like, nobody in a medieval setting or a fantasy setting should talk like that. That is such a modern expression. And there were things that I didn't even notice that a lot of people in my comments said, like, for example... Tons of Harfoots say okay all the time, and there's no way that would be the case. Okay is a very modern thing to say. But there were also other things. You know, one of Elrond's description of what he's heard, it's like going into Valinor, and I forget the exact wording now, but I think I mentioned it before, is a very modern phrasing of something that really ought to be much more ancient-sounding and more mystical, and the way he says it is just, it's like he's some modern 
spiritualist trying to describe something to a a bunch of teenagers or something, and it just came off so badly. And there were so many other elements, especially, like I said, like in the first four episodes, and it got a little bit better over time, that the dialogue was just either cringy or eh. And, you know, that's not to say that Peter Jackson did a superb job of doing justice to Tolkien's dialogue. He he changed quite a lot, and he modernized it quite a lot. But it never felt like 21st century you know, teenager talk or anything like that. And I'm, I feel like in this show, so much of it was written by teenagers, you know, people who don't really have any experience writing good dialogue. I shouldn't be watching this going, I feel like I could hear somebody saying that today, you know, just with more uhs and likes and, you know, stuff that even I do, right? I'm not claiming that I have the best diction in the world, but the the dialogue in the show ought to be elevated above where the average viewer is going to be talking. So that was something that really disappointed me because there's just... So much of Tolkien's writings come down to the feel, the feeling you have of being in an ancient world, a distant past that is kind of beyond recall, but nevertheless you can believe in and is something that you can really get into and believe is old. You never get that in this show. It feels like a modern show put into a an medieval fantasy setting, if that makes sense. And to me, that was just really disappointing because so much of what I like about Tolkien is the immersion of feeling like you really are in an ancient world, Not everything in Tolkien sounds ancient. The hobbits talk in a way that is relatively modern, but then you have stuff like Aragorn and Faramir, and they talk in a much more old style for, you know, for the time. And then there was one of the weirdest things about this, and I didn't mention it in my episode 8 review, at the end of the Harfoot plotline, the stranger who has been revealed at this point to be a wizard of some sort, delivers this line to Nori, and I don't remember the whole line because it was deliberately written in a way to sound a lot more like Tolkien. And the first word out of his mouth was betimes. And it struck me so hard because up to this point, we've had no language like that in this show. We've had things where... They've kind of done like noun verb inversions or other things that are reminiscent of older types of diction, but nevertheless didn't come off right because they sounded like modern language, but just with reversed noun verb constructions. Here, the language sounded a lot more like a Tolkienian phrase, and it was so weird because nothing else in this show has sounded like that. And I'm just like... Why why are you dropping that here? It was also weird because the stranger, all the way up until very late in episode 8, was still not saying much. And then all of a sudden he's just talking like he's known language all along. And so that was weird. But the way he said it, it it sounded pretty Tolkienian, actually. And the fact that it sounded like that so resonantly 
in the midst of all this other stuff, just showed up the fact that nothing else up to this point has. And I think they need better writers in terms of not just the logical coherence, they need it for the dialogue. It's like somebody needs to get in there and have a really good idea for how to write dialogue in the way that Tolkien would. Don't underestimate your audience. Don't think that your audience is going to not understand what's going on. You don't have to make the language overly flowery or complicated to to make it sound like Tolkien. It just has to not sound like somebody could utter it in the year 2022. So there's another thing that I think they really need to improve on. So now we come to the final point that I want to make about this show, and and this also plays into why it doesn't feel like Tolkien. But this one is less about the feeling and more about its actual consistency with Tolkien's writings, right? So, the idea of the lore breaks in this show. At first, I was expecting there to be a lot, because, of course, you get, you know, things like the time compression that force some differences between the source material and what we're going to get on screen. You can't time compress thousands of years and expect everything to work out as it does in the source material. It's just not going to happen. But, and this is, this really hit me with Celeborn, as you may remember from my episode review where I touched on this, uh, in episode 7, where Galadriel starts talking about Celeborn, it all of a sudden just got me really angry, because what they have done is not just time compression, and not just kind of ignored certain things in the source material that, you know, aren't that important, they have deliberately subverted things in the original story so that they could tell a different story. And I think that's what takes this out of being an adaptation and puts it more squarely in the realm of fan fiction. It's not really we're going to adapt Tolkien's story. It's we are going to tell our own story in a what-if universe if you know things had happened differently. Here's how it might have happened, and we want to do it different. And the problem with that is, if you're going to just actively subvert Tolkien's story and things in the lore, like the fact that Galadriel was always married to Celeborn and they, you know, Celeborn never went missing or presumed dead and all this other stuff, if you're going to make such radical changes, you have to have a really good reason to do it in a way that is still fitting in with the story that Tolkien told for it to be what I would consider an adaptation. And I don't think they're going in that direction. I get the sense that they did that whole thing with Celeborn so that Galadriel could have kind of an almost romance with Halbrand, which then turns into a subversion of expectations, or at least an attempted subversion of expectations, when she finds out that Halbrand is Sauron. So that whole thing, that totally radical change to the lore, which seems like a really minor point, right? Celeborn, like, who cares? It seems like a minor thing, but it was the fact that they made that change in order to set up a thing that isn't even the way that Tolkien did it, so that they could just tell their own version of the story, which is no resemblance to what Tolkien wrote. That's what got me. Peter Jackson made a lot of changes, and a lot of them I don't like. I did a whole video 
which a lot of people disagree with my opinion on this, about how I don't like Aragorn's character in Peter Jackson compared to Tolkien's. And when I say that, I don't mean I dislike Aragorn's character in Peter Jackson. What I mean is, fundamentally, Aragorn's character in Tolkien's story is not that of a secondary protagonist, and therefore he does not need a character arc in the way that Frodo does. He does not need the kinds of things that you would want a protagonist to have. And that is why in Tolkien's version of the story, Aragorn is awesome from day one, and he's always awesome, and he has moments of doubt, but he never goes through a character arc. He doesn't progress in any meaningful way. The reason for that being, the hobbits are the ones telling the story, and they're looking up at this tremendous figure who basically comes out of legend from their perspective, and they see him in that way, and they're telling the story, so what they tell of his story is he's this great legendary figure from the beginning and just carries that through all the way. His character, as portrayed, changes in the sense that we first meet him as Strider and then we find out more about him as we go along, but his character as, you know, who he is doesn't actually change. So... This is the kind of change that Peter Jackson made for his movie where he turned him into a secondary protagonist who has to go through a character arc, become the king he's meant to be, as opposed to being the much more logically coherent 87-year-old who already knows what he's doing with his life. He's had 87 years to figure it out. He really kind of ought to know. (laughs) And he probably wouldn't change his mind that easily. I think it was a bad choice in in the sense that I don't think it was done well in Peter Jackson movies. A lot of people disagree with me and think that it was fine. And, you know, there's disagreement to be had there. But the main point I'm making is Peter Jackson's change was not purposeless. And it was not just so he could tell his own story because he didn't fundamentally change the story being told with Aragorn. He leaves it intact. He just gives... Aragorn a character arc, because for a movie-going audience, it was not really expected that they were going to necessarily like a Beowulf-type hero who is just awesome from the get-go and just continues to be awesome and has no character arc. It's expected that our protagonists are going to have character arcs, and Aragorn is going to be seen as kind of a secondary protagonist in this movie because of the way they did it. They didn't have the Arwen thing basically have one little mention in Elrond's house, and then again at the end he marries Arwen. They built that in and threaded it through because Aragorn's going to be a secondary protagonist, and he needs those kinds of things. So this is the difference between Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power. Celeborn not being present is a radical change that does not serve a purpose that Peter Jackson was trying to serve, It just serves the purpose of allowing them to tell a different story. And that's why I really don't like it. So, to me, that's one of those things that takes it out of being Tolkien. You're no longer telling Tolkien's story with changes that need to be made to suit the medium or to suit the fact that you only have so much time or whatever it is. It's, no, we're going to tell a different story and therefore we are going to make these changes to make that story work. You're no longer doing Tolkien at that point. You're just making fan fiction. So, 
this leads up to the other issue in this regard, which is the rings of power, which I said I was going to come and come back to. The forging of the rings of power in this season was to me a mistake. And it was a mistake because it felt rushed. It was not done very well. Was, you know, they just kind of cobbled it all together at the very end in a season which didn't seem to be leading up to it in the first place. It would have been, I think, much better if they had found a way to end it without forging any rings and realizing maybe towards the end that what they were planning to do with the mithril isn't going to work. Now we have to figure out something else. And that something else is going to have to be built on some kind of magic that isn't related to whatever the magical mithril properties are. And, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But this idea that they wanted to end with the forging of the three rings, I think, was just done very poorly for a number of reasons. One of them being, again, it's very contrary to Tolkien's version of the story, and it upends a lot of the logic of the ring-making process that Tolkien built in once he started Lord of the Rings and realized, you know, what he was going to do with it instead of just being a sequel to The Hobbit. Once he got there, he had to come up with a backstory to explain what's going on, and part of that was, you know, Sauron, way back in the day, pretended to be this good guy and fooled the elves into this project so that he could bring them all under his sway and dominate them and thus rule Middle-earth without having to wage huge war and conquer a great, powerful enemy. And it didn't quite work out for him, but that was the plan, and so there was a logic to the way it progressed. Sauron comes along, he starts to teach them things they can do with smithing that they don't already know, he gets them to forge the first 16 rings, and then he goes back to forge the one ring, and Celebrimbor forges the three on his own. And the fact that Sauron had no hand in the making of the three was an important point. The three are safe to use, at least for the elves. You know, Gandalf would probably say, for mortals, you should stick, stay away from those. Uh, but the three are at least safe for elves to use because Sauron never touched them. And he didn't know their existence until he put on the one ring and then the wearers of the elven rings all went, oops, better take these off. And Sauron gets mad and starts waging war. Here we have a complete upending of that process and therefore the logic that underlies it. Because what we have here is the rings are being made with the knowledge of Sauron. He doesn't know there's going to be three because by that point Halbrand's already left. But the point is he knows these things are being made and he knows why they're being made. And he's helping along in the process. And Galadriel, who you know, re reveals him and basically gets him to leave by doing so, is now in this position of knowing that Sauron has been working with them this whole time, helping them with the process, and her solution to this is not, hey, Sauron was helping this, which means it's probably a bad idea, so maybe we should stop. It's, no, we're going we're gonna to make three now, and that's going to solve the problem. <laughs> Just, okay... It doesn't make any sense. And the other thing that doesn't make any sense is the fact that why are 16 more rings going to be made? We still need 9 for men and 7 for dwarves. Why are those 16 rings going to get made? What is going to be the purpose of them? They've already used the mithril. Are they going to be mithril-based rings? Because that seems to be the only reason these rings have any magical properties to begin with. And that's the other major problem that I have with this because 
in the original story, the whole point was Sauron teaches the art of ring making so that the elves have a magical way of, you know, doing what they want to do, which is largely preserving and, you know, making their realms more beautiful like the Undying Lands. It's not to save the elves from fading in some completely ad hoc, you know, problem that we have to solve with some kind of MacGuffin. It's the elves love Middle-earth, but they also miss Valinor, and so they want something to kind of bring the two together. And Sauron uses this because the, the primary flaw in the elves is not wanting to live forever, which is what men's main flaw in Tolkien is. The primary elven flaw is not wanting anything to change because their nature is too weary of Middle-earth, ultimately. And that's why they all want to go back to Valinor sooner or later. Sauron takes advantage of this weakness in their character to say, oh, I know how you can achieve this. You can make these magic rings which allow you to basically create realms like Lorien and Rivendell where it seems like time doesn't really pass and time seems to stand still and nothing decays, nothing fades, everything's great. It's just like Valinor back in, you know, back in the West. Meanwhile, of course, he's over there rubbing his hands like, and I'm going to trap you. But that logic is kind of upended here because now the whole thing with the rings is not we're just trying to make it more like Valinor. It's we actively have to save the elves or they're about to die. And Sauron helps them with this process, thereby making it so his number one enemy in Middle-earth is still active and... <laughs> able to resist him, which makes no sense. Uh, but what really got me, though, was nothing about the rings is magical except for the fact that it contains mithril. What? And the mithril's sole purpose, as far as we can tell, is to prevent the elves from fading and having to leave for Valinor, from Middle-earth. Again, like, What? But the the really crazy thing about this is, think about Mithril. One of the things that Gan Gandalf tells us about Mithril in the Mines of Moria when they're traveling through it is the dwarves found out a way to make an alloy out of Mithril that was super hard and never, you know... The, the mithril, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand is mithril, the base element, the, the simple ore of mithril, doesn't have the qualities of the mithril shirt. The basic ore itself can be used to make that, or things like ethildine, or other things that have other semi-magical qualities, but the dwarves are the ones who discovered the secret of making the metal that goes into the shirt the male shirt that Frodo wears. That's not to say that they're the only ones who discovered how to make any kind of or of alloy with it. Maybe the elves developed a different kind of alloy, and that's what's in Ithildine. I don't know. It's not really ever clearly stated. But the point here is, it was never this magic thing that Mithril was really hard to make an alloy out of. And the show even falls down on this, because the show basically just shows them melting the Mithril into the metal, which is just how you make an alloy. <laughs> There's no reason it needed to be this big to-do because they just melted it into the gold and silver, and there we were done. But the point here is, 
the dwarves figured out how to make that on their own and never shared the secret with anybody. The elves might have figured out a different alloy, which might be a Thildine, because a Thildine doesn't seem to be just Mithril, or if it is, it's something that they've done magic to it to make it to where it only shows up in Moon and Starlight. But now Sauron's entire role in the ring-making business is to teach them how to make an alloy out of a metal that seems rather easy to make an alloy out of. And that really diminishes his role in the whole thing. Sauron's whole project was the ring-making thing. That was his idea, and the point of it was to trap the elves. Now, instead of that, his idea is, oh, well, you can just mix it with some metals by not trying too hard, but by coaxing it to join other metals. Hoo-hoo! Airy-fairy magic non-sciencey talk. I mean, that's... Oh my gosh, it... So bad. I'm trying not to go down that road of being hypercritical here, but the whole point here being we have now upended the whole logic behind the ring making. The rings were made at Sauron's instigation and based on knowledge that Sauron alone had so that he could trap them but it, the trap was based on him using their own weakness of character, their one point of attack that he could use that allowed him to ensnare them and therefore do the thing that he wanted them to do so that he could come along and do the one ring and therefore control all of what they did with their rings. No, no. It's just that Sauron knows how to make Mithril into an alloy. That's, that's it. And and again, why are these other rings going to get made? So, the Celeborn thing and the Ring of Power thing, they should have handled the Rings of Power in a completely different way, in my opinion, and they should have done it the way that Tolkien wrote about it. Anatar comes in, teaches them how to make the rings, shows them the, the way of making these things magical so that they help them preserve and prevent decay and all this other stuff. And then, you know, you could have that happen over several episodes in Season 2, and then Sauron goes and forges his One Ring, and then the conflict can happen for... The forging of the One Ring could be like the end of a season, and then it's after that the conflict of, you know, the war in Eregion and the other wars and Numenor and all that stuff getting involved. Here they did it in such a rushed fashion, it has almost no narrative weight. It doesn't... You know, Sauron's involvement has almost no significance at all because, well, he knew about it and he was helping, but we're still going to do it anyway because that couldn't be any problem, right? So, the way it was done just creates so many logical problems on its own, but also upends the logic behind the entire Great Ring project in The Lord of the Rings that it's like, how do you salvage the story and make this connect with Lord of the Rings at this point. I just don't see how you can do it. So, again, this is one of those things where time and time again, when people try to change things in Tolkien's writings to do it differently, every time I analyze it, I'm like, no, Tolkien did it better, and you should have just went with what he had. And one of my favorite examples of this is Eowyn and the Witch King. Eowyn and the Witch King is a great scene in the movie and in the book, but it's way better in the book. Why? 
Because instead of trying to go, ooh, girl power, when Eowyn says, I am no man's dab, we get, you know, the Nazgul saying, no man may hinder me, and she says, ha ha, I'm no man, and the Nazgul sits there and goes, hmm, this might be a problem. He's just silent for a minute, and he doesn't say anything, but the reader knows what he's doing is sweating. (laughs) He's sweating! And that is such a more impactful way of handling that scene than the way Peter Jackson did it. It just is. It's so much better narratively. So every time these people try to change the story to do something to, you know, what, and, you know, you could argue that they did that partially to save time because the Eowyn and Witch King fight happens a lot faster in the movie than it does in the book because there's just a lot less tension going on and waiting. So, timing-wise, you could understand why they made that change. But the point is, it's still a worse scene. Tolkien knew how to write a good scene. He knew how to write good tension. He knew how to build suspense. He knew how to introduce horror and terror in really good ways. He knew how to do all this stuff. Discarding the way he did it to do your own thing, if you have a really good reason for doing it, you might be justified... But you should really stop and think, you know, is this maybe not the best idea? Should we maybe just stick with the source material? And I'm not saying that just because I'm a purist. I am a purist. (laughs) And that's why I complain a lot about Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. But I'm also saying it just because, like, if you have a perfectly good written story there, why not use it? Why completely change it to no real purpose or to no particularly good purpose, if you're just going to end up with a worse story, just use what's already there. That's what most of us wanted to see anyway. I can't remember how many comments I've seen in Twitter and YouTube and everything else saying, can't wait to see Anatar, and, you know, half of us were still hoping before the Sauron reveal happened that what we were going to find out was Celebrimbor had this dude in his workshop the whole time that we never met on screen, and we were going to get his name, Anatar, and it was going to turn out that he was behind it all in the next season. That's the Tolkien fans who were excited for this show. That's mostly what we were wanting out of a second age show was getting to see Anatar being his sneaky, conniving self and deceiving the elves and setting them up in a trap. And because that makes for great storytelling, it just does. The way it was handled here, like the scene between Galadriel and Halbrand, was it? It, it was interesting, but. The storytelling aspect of how Sauron gets introduced and then just immediately leaves, could they bring him back as Anatar in disguise and make more rings? Yes, but now it's just going to feel cheap if they do that. Because it's like, why? <laughs> why why would you do it that way? It would have made so much more sense if they had just done it the way that Tolkien described it in the first place. And it not only would have made a better narrative, it would have made the story actually fit with The Lord of the Rings. Now the logic is so twisted up and jumbled around that it just doesn't. So, ultimately, that right there is probably the key reason why I'm not going to be watching any more of this series, because they have done such irreparable damage to, you know, the source material in the sense that they can never make it fit anymore in in a logical way, that it's just not Tolkien. And I'm not going to spend my time reviewing what is fan fiction 
which is not even very well produced fan fiction given the amount of budget they had for this thing. That to me is the greatest disappointment. They have cast aside Tolkien's story to write their own for whatever purposes they have. I don't know if they just think they're that much better storytellers than Tolkien or just because they want to do something original or whatever. I mean, I I can assume the best of motives with these people, but the point is, it's like, have a little humility and understand that Tolkien wrote a good story, and that story is what the fans wanted to see on screen. The reason we love Tolkien is because Tolkien does things in a certain way, and we want to be able to see that in a visual medium. It's really that simple. Some people are just happy to see Middle-earth in any form or fashion. I can't get on that train. (laughs) I just can't. Uh... But I think they would have been much better served had they had they just gone that route. Another minor point, which I'll mention here because I I kind of meant to bring it up when I talked about dialogue, but I forgot, is just the way that they've destroyed so many characters. Galadriel is not supposed to be this impetuous hothead who is just insufferable for the entirety of the Second Age. That's just not who she is. Gil-galad is not supposed to be a complete jerk in every scene we see him in. Now, do I know what Gilgalad's character is supposed to be entirely. No, there's not a whole lot written about Gilgalad in any of the sources, but we have his letter in Aldarion Rorindus. We have his heroism in the Battle of the Last Alliance. The all the little snippets that we do get of Gilgalad all point to him being a really good person. And so when he's just <laughs> when he just has this bad attitude and is putting down everybody and all this other stuff, every time I see him on screen, I'm just like here we go again. <laughs> Gilgalad being a jerk. And so, so, but those, I think, are really kind of the key points. And if I had to sum up why this show is not Tolkien, it's the complete destruction of any narrative coherence with the source material, the destruction of the characters, the bad dialogue, and the inability to spend the time to make the story make sense on its own terms. Because Tolkien spent a lot of time doing that. He spent weeks going over, wait a minute, the phases of the moon don't line up here. I need to fix that in my story. He he went to that level of detail. He wanted it to be as perfect as possible so that you could immerse your, yourself and invest secondary belief in his story. We don't have anything like that amount of care taken with this show. It's it, We just don't. We don't have the amount of care given to the dialogue, the writing, the characters... And certainly not the lore. And that, to me, is why it's just not Tolkien. And therefore, I will not watch any more of it unless I hear from people whose opinion I trust that, oh man, this show got really, really good after season one. Then maybe I will. Until that time, I have no intention of watching season two. I'm just going to pretend this doesn't exist as much as I possibly can. Which means... I might have to mute some stuff on Twitter whenever I, whenever season two comes out, but so be it. That's just, that's the decision I've made. It's going to be hard not to because I, like my wife, I'm a completionist, and now that I have finished season one, it's going to have a profound impact on my brain to not watch it all just for the sake of doing it and then being able to say, yep, I'll never go back and watch any of that again, but at least I can say I saw the whole thing. Still, my plan is not to do it at all, so... Those are my final thoughts on Rings of Power. Uh, 
that, like I said, this was kind of supposed to be a little bit more of a constructive criticism type of thing, pointing out where they could have done better, why I think that. I hope this was at least useful in some sense and kind of clarified a lot of the overall problems with the season and how I think it could have been improved significantly. Uh, if you know, if you think this was good, please do give it a like, share it around. It's definitely not in the same style as my other episode reviews so at least people who complained about me just ranting all the time shouldn't have that problem with this video uh but yeah if you want to catch more of my completely not related to rings of power content please do subscribe i'm going to be doing a lot of really interesting stuff in the near future and you know i've got social links in the description below i've got a discord i've got podcast versions and alternative video platforms all that good stuff so and on Twitter, of course, I also drop uh, Tolkien-related trivia questions four times a week, so check that out if you're interested. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie. Thanks to all supporters of the channel, especially Elf Friends P.A. Brew News, Tracy Meehan, Nathan Dufour, and Paul Leone.